Welcome to the SDR Disco Call vidcast and podcast, a show designed for brand new sales reps working in the world of tech sales. I'm your host, Neil Buyan, and I'm going to be taking you on a journey on the SDR Disco Call vidcast and podcast. Did you know that you can watch this show live with the guests on YouTube? This show is available on YouTube at happyselling.io. Hello listeners and watchers, welcome to another episode and chapter of the SDR Disco Call Show. I'm your host, Neil Buyan. If this is your first time joining the show, this is all about helping sales development reps or BDRs working in the world of tech sales with myself interviewing great SDRs and BDRs from around the globe to get insights into career, how to navigate and how to become the best SDR or BDR that you can be by getting insights from people that are actually still doing the role. So if you're listening to this in your local podcast platform, please make sure that you give us a rating and subscribe. And if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, please make sure that you like, comment and subscribe and leave some feedback below for the guests so they can know what you think of them and their story on today's show. But with this guest that we have, this is somebody that I'm very excited to have on board because they've been recommended to me multiple times by one of our former guests, Reese. Um, and this person said, hey, you need to get this person on the show. She's a breath of fresh air. She's super energetic and she's proper on the board. And I was just like, okay. So we finally connected a few months back and we got onto the show and we are here today. So guest, could you please introduce yourself? Who are you? Uh, hi, my name's Minnie Ryder. I'm a BDR at Bring and I've been in the industry for just over a year. And that's a little bit about me more to come. <laughs> thank you so much, Minnie. And an absolute pleasure and privilege to have you on the show today. So thank you so much for joining. So Minnie, uh, for our listeners and watchers out there, could you tell us where are you based in the world? What do you specifically do? And with that company, what do they do? Yeah, so I am based in London, I'm born and raised London girl. And I have an office in London, but we're an Israeli tech company and we're a delivery management uh, market leader. And we work with numerous different customers to manage and orchestrate the last mile as much as possible to really make it as simple as possible uh, and give customers the convenience and the experience that they're looking for in today's society. Love it. Eloquently put, thank you so much. And again, uh, as mentioned in the industry you're working, you've had your own like experiences working within that industry. So we're going to dive into that today as well. Um, but just out of curiosity, to make things a bit more human, like outside of sales, Minnie, what kind of things do you like to get up to and what floats your boat? And I also know that you're an avid pet lover as well. Yeah, so I am very much in love. I'm a dog mother, which is very important. Oh. Um, so I've got a dog uh, called Bailey and she is seven. Um, but most of the time I'm always with my friends. They pretty much live at my flat. And <laughs> I'm not with my friends and I'm normally in the gym. Um, I love going to the gym. I feel that it's kind of... It's that one hour, four or five times a week that I really switch off and I just focus on me. And I'd say it's also the same with reformer Pilates. I love doing that. Okay. And I do love a bit of food. I'm a big foodie. So like uh -huh. trying different stuff, going to different restaurants, pretty much your standard. Nothing that crazy, uh -huh. um, but more just hanging out with my friends and family a lot is, is like my favorite thing to do without fail. Absolutely love it. And as mentioned, uh, as people know, like all pets, so Bailey's more than welcome to join in today's episode if she I'm wants sure to get down with us as well. Uh, but also for our listeners and for our watchers, as you know, we typically share our screen and we visit our guest's LinkedIn profile. 
And as mentioned with all of our guests, if you want to check them out or connect with them on LinkedIn, you can check out the show notes in the podcast or the description on the YouTube channel. And you can find Minnie's URL to connect with her on LinkedIn. But Minnie, you're somebody that's very, very active on LinkedIn. And I've seen lots of your posts. And I'm very, like, I'm super happy when I do see them. So make sure that you check her content out as well and give her a follow. Um, but you're an SDR lady of London and you've had an extensive career. You've been to quite a few places and done yeah. quite a few different roles. So kind of uh, starting at the beginning, like where you've done some work experience, you have a cool story at Bowley's Shoe Shop. Yes. Uh, you've been an operations partner at Waitrose. Uh, you've also been a manager at Clean Cut, delivery executive at Irec to Rec. You've been a researcher interview. You've been your own owner of yeah. the straight <laughs> spray tan business. Uh, a sales negotiator at Gibbs Gillespie, uh, and most recently, in the last year and a half, you've been a BDR at Bring. So, a very colourful career, yeah. very different in some aspects and so. But there's so many cool stories behind them all. So, I'd love to know, and our listeners would love to know as well, Minnie. Like, walk us through your journey of like, how did you get to like where you are today, Miss? So, I'd say the reason I am a hundred percent who I am today is because of my dad. My dad is uh-huh. my idol, and he has taught me work ethic. So. When I got to 15, it was, let's get a job time. So when I was 15, I actually, weirdly enough, I got my shoes, my first pair of shoes ever fitted at the shoe shop. And mm. to work there when I was 16 was bizarre. So I was working at £4.60 an hour. I didn't wow. get offered a job at Waitrose. I tried to go to Waitrose, couldn't get into Waitrose. as a lot mm. of my friends worked there. And I was working the holidays. I was working every Saturday, eight till five fitting smelly feet and <laughs> using trying to measure kids shoes whilst they're running everywhere and yeah. really just doing lots of different things um, and then I got an opportunity at Waitrose um, I applied for the job it came up and I actually got it so three months or four months later I moved to Waitrose and Waitrose was incredible it was literally a two-minute walk down the end of my road nice. I used to see all my family and all my friends in there but the key thing that it taught me is customer experience the mm. customer experience is so important. And although it wasn't heavily heavily sales orientated, it was really gave me the opportunity to understand how hard I would have to work because I was there from, I remember my first year in the Christmas, mm. there was like a problem with our bakery. So we had to go to another store and they needed someone to work 2 a.m. till 6 a.m. Muggins over here. <laughs> decided to do that and I would take it all in my little mini and drive like these huge boxes and be up till 2am cooking all the food and bring it all back to the Northwood branch. Wow. That really kind of taught me you have to work hard in life. Like there's a mm. lot of people in there and there's a lot of people generally that you that you saw them working and we were doing A-levels at the time and it was really intense um, but that was just the best experience because I was able to go back there whilst I was at uni still. Ah. So it really, for those two years that I worked there, I loved it and the people were great as well. And I then decide my journey was a bit unconventional. I am not a huge exam person. I get Mm. really stressed over them. I'm dyslexic. So I do struggle with kind of writing and just phrasing things. And I always slur my words and always get confused with words. But I decided to go to university still and I wanted to do a more active degree rather than doing something that was just all exams so Mm. i actually did a four-year course pushed into three but it was a bit different because in your second year you could have done it for your second and third i just did it for my second i actually worked full time and did my degree at the same time wow so i was working like 70 hour weeks 
and it was really intense. But... So just just pause there for Sorry. a second. No, 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 no. By all means, yeah. I, I'm, I'm intrigued in this. Like, I remember at one point in my life, I was working like two, three jobs. I was working an office right. job, and I was working a part time. So I was working for local government. Then I was working as a Pizza Hut delivery driver, and then I was being a club MC and doing music stuff on my weekends. And I remember like people used to say me like, "How the hell do you do that?" Then I'm like, "I don't know. I just do." But to yourself, like you're doing a degree and you're doing this work and you're working 70 hour weeks. How did you do that? Like what was going through your mind? I wanted to be ahead, to okay. be really transparent. I wanted to be ahead and I wanted to have the ability to to say to myself, oh, like all my friends are doing placements now. I've been working for two years. Mm. I wanted to have that flexibility and have that independence to be able to push myself to the limit unfortunately i push myself absolutely to the limit a lot and mm. i do know my limits now a lot more than i used to but i always wanted to see how far i could be pushed in terms of what i could do i wanted to prove people wrong as well um mm. when i was my dad told me this only when i was probably after when i was at uni in my first year he told me he said you know, when you were fired, they didn't, uh, they, because your dyslexia was so bad, they weren't even sure if you'd get GCSEs. Mm. And that to me there was a bit like, wait, what? Like I knew that I'm dyslexic and I knew that I, I used to write my D's backwards when I was a lot younger. And I know that I, I can't spell specific words because I just struggle with it so much. And mm. math isn't my the best part of me. But I've always been able to kind of use my common knowledge and I'd say I'm not book smart but I'm street smart I guess mm -hmm. that's quite a common thing to say um, and and for, for for the listener that might be listening or somebody that's watching like I can understand these as well and I can definitely relate to that whole thing of I was never academic right yeah I, I wouldn't consider myself book smart but I would consider myself street smart how would you explain to somebody that hasn't heard those terms as to what that is and what that meant to you Minnie so academic smart to me or book smart meant to me that they were getting a stars and mm. they were getting uh they were getting a stars and everything they could multiply these numbers and, and be able to read any and remember any fact that we'd learned in history in year eight let's say mm. when i'd say street smart is more being able to survive in the world being able to mm. have a strong work ethic being able to speak to people communicate with people and being able to graft and really push yourself and really be able to develop your skills so although you might know nothing about gardening let's say for yeah. some reason you you'd be able to be like you know what i'm going to learn and mm. and i'm going to try and i'm going to try this i'm going to try that and being a bit experimental for sure that's what i would say really defines street smart i love that i love that and it's funny you should say this because I was at um, my son. He goes to stagecoach school now. And um, I was there yesterday watching him do a performance with all these other kids and all these other parents. And there was a very cynical side of me in there, right? And I mean this in the sense that they're doing all these performances. These kids are all performing, doing their thing. And you're seeing all these parents. And I could see the parents that were the dance mums mm. or like the dance dads. Yeah. And like really like extenuating their words and telling their kids, do this, do that, do this, do that. And I can see my boy just having a laugh and having fun. And a part of me came up and again, this sounds really crass and cynical, <laughs> but I was just like, how many of your kids are actually going to follow through on this? And actually, yeah. are they doing it because they love doing it? And what are they learning from it? So as 
the other kids were performing rudely, I went onto my phone to find out what percentage of kids, you know, do stuff with Stagecoach School. And the, the key things for them is it helps them with communication, helps them working with other groups. It helps oh, yeah. build their self-confidence and self-esteem. And all of these things can be interconnected into careers or things that they do later on in life yeah. versus a kid that doesn't go there. And I was kind of reflecting on myself where I was thinking like, I was never like one of these kids here, right? I was never academically smart. And I can sometimes figure out who the academically smart kids are and the kids that are just enjoying it for who they are. And I said to myself, never went to uni, got kicked out of college was not the smartest egg in the room like when he was in classes and stuff like that but I was like I'm somebody that did perform and did do music I run my own company I'm doing my own podcast show but all of this stuff I didn't learn from being academically smart yeah it was being street smart and learning things as I went along adapting yeah and that's the the thing that I kind of I know that we've just gone off on a tangent no no and do you want to know something really funny is I did stagecoach oh really yeah I did stagecoach when I was younger yeah. I did it until probably I was eight I did it mm. from four to eight and I remember doing the performances and everything and one of my best friends um she's also I wouldn't say really academic she's a lot more street smart she actually taught at stagecoach uh. so it really does and she's now she did do a degree in theater school but mm. she's now started her own business she's now being able to run her own business has a team shout out glow for it and she <laughs> and she yeah so she's now doing really really well so it does it does show you that a lot of people they think oh i didn't get an a star i didn't get an a in yeah. gcse when really i've never been asked what my a level results yeah ever. all right love it well, a little bit of a connection there i love that Stagecoach is cool uh really cool and blake absolutely loves it and he was doing it's frozen it's a great place yeah, and it's it also it's Saturdays night. I used to do it Saturday nine to one. I think. So he they does do it, it on Saturdays a, and Sundays. He does it on a Friday, but they were doing like a Sunday workshop, but like oh, Matilda yeah. and Frozen. But anyway, completely digressing. <laughs> Sorry, that's <laughs> all right. But coming back to yourself, um, yeah. as you were saying, like working seventy-hour weeks, you're doing your degree and pushing yourself to the limit, and you've you know since then realised what limits to push and not to push. Yeah. What happened after that? I finished second year and I was ready to kind of leave clean cut. I'd been there for two years. I actually, before I moved in, I, w I was with my dad. I remember this so well. We went to go and find somewhere for lunch. I literally just moved in my stuff. We mm. went to like this healthy eating restaurant. I love healthy food. So they just opened. My dad goes, oh, they're looking for people. So I walked straight up to the owner, Antonio, and I Ooh. said, are you looking for people? And he said, yeah. And then I got a job literally straight there on the spot on my first what? day when I moved in. <laughs> that it is very it's very like just kind of taking opportunities and, and mm. instead of i listened to this quote the other day and it was really important to me is instead of thinking about your past you are a creator we are mm. human we're breathing human people and i created that opportunity i didn't need to walk up to him i could have been like oh no i'll do it another day mm. by creating your own opportunities and by taking advantage of what you're doing right there and there. That's what I'd say was the key thing about how Clean Cut came about. I love that. And like that screams confidence to me. Yeah. And I want to ask you a little bit on this as well, but really? to give my own take on it. I remember when I was transitioning from working in finance and I really wanted to get into the sales job. And at a point in my life, I was looking around my friends and some of them weren't, you know, accomplishing cool things in my opinion. 
Like Neil was that young dude in his twenties talking about a mortgage or you know traveling the world or yeah. finding this cool career and stuff like that. And my mates were just like, "No, we're going to uni, we're going festivals, we're going raving, mm-hmm. we're going beef. And I was just like, "And they were like, Neil, you're such an old man. Like, why no, are you I thinking these? Yeah, yeah. they're like, why are you thinking of them things there? And I'm like, because this stuff isn't going to last forever. Like, we need to think about future and stuff. And I kind of said to myself, I was like, Neil, you've always been that quiet dude and shy person. You need to find this courage or this spark in you. Mm-hmm. And I went through a phase in my life where I purposely did things to scare the hell out of myself. So it would be asking for a job or it would be speaking to somebody that I normally wouldn't have the balls to speak to. Uh, and what I found, Minnie, was I started getting this buzz. Yeah. And I remember it like uh, when I approached my sales director after sitting in my office in financing and I want to go for sales and I just went up to him and said Jonathan I really want to work in sales never had it before but I, I know the product inside out what do you think and normally there's this inner critic that would say no like what the hell have you just said mm-hmm. bro like calm down who do you think you are and you have that inner critic and over the years I've learned to silence that person or just not really listen to what that other Neil's saying but what you did there where you know you met your dad he's saying they're looking for people and then it just clicks into your head and you just go up to antonio and just ask him are you looking for people how did you build that confidence within yourself and what was driving i'd say that i've always i've always kind of i've always stuck to this motto and i've i i do believe in quotes and mottos and everything so you're probably going to get a few throughout today go for it but i always think stand out from the crowd i um at if you speak to my sales director, I'm absolutely nuts. And <laughs> I like who I am. I yeah. I genuinely, hand on heart, like who I am. And it did take me that second year of uni to really understand who I was as a person and like myself a lot more than I used to. Mm. But in that moment, I, I thought to myself, life's too short. I might as well stand out from the crowd. How many people have gone up to him and asked for a job? No one. Mm. Probably that day, no one. Mm. So by standing out from the crowd, I always kind of get that feeling in your stomach Mm. and then you just kind of put your shoulders back and you just do it because you if you don't do it then you'll never do it Mm. even like it sounds so silly but even like going up to a celebrity I got in trouble once for going up to this footballer and I just went up to him and I was just like hi can I get a selfie my brother's a big fan Mm. like they're not people are people are human at the end of the day no one's ever gonna be really rude to your face because Unfortunately, we live in a society now where if you cold call someone, they can't be rude to you because we all know that everyone records the phone calls. So if <laughs> they were really rude to you, yeah. you'd either be on that and there's an Instagram where they take the mickey out of all like these awful sales calls or you send it to the company and they probably get into a lot of trouble because people can't be rude in this society. Mm. So I just think what what's the worst scenario that will happen? And once you come to terms with what the worst scenario is, in that situation, Antonio says no. Okay. What's going to happen to me? Nothing. You you have to think about the best scenarios, the best outcome, and then the worst outcome. And really, the worst outcome isn't as bad as you probably think it will be. Yeah, I 100% co-sign and agree with you. Um, the reason being is with that confidence to try, like, you know, so like worst case scenario, I used to have this fear in me when I was in my 20s which was like people say like what scares you I'm saying what scares me is waking up every day doing the same nine to five coming home putting my feet up watching dinner watching tv and going to bed and then waking up and doing the same monotonous thing Mm -hmm. day in day out that scares the hell out of me 
And the only way to get away from that fear is by doing crazy stuff that scares me and stuff out of my comfort zone. And to your point, um, a lot of the times, and this is, you know, it it stems from childhood. It's like our environment and growing up where we always think of not standing out because we're sometimes taught to conform Uh and mirror the same patterns that everybody's doing. Because if you, you know, go against the grain, then you're going to be a problem, as they may say, right? But the the thing that I kind of learned was we always go through this thing of what if it goes wrong? What if they reject me what if they get offended by this what if and I remember reading the book it was uh, the secret at the time and it was kind of getting into the mindset of what if it works out so what if that person likes what you said what if they actually give you that opportunity and job and I can put this down to one key moment in my life in my SDR career when I was working at Zora and Kevin Kimber our VP of EMEA he was a very stern guy right Mm -hmm. you didn't want to mess with Kev yeah (laughs) but he was like my sales dad uh, and one day I'm sitting on my laptop and he instant messages me on Google and he says, Neil, could you come into my office? Now, the old Neil would have thought, oh, what did I do wrong? Because that's what we all think. When we get yeah. called by seeing a measure like, what have I done wrong? Mm-hmm. Or what have I cocked up on? And I had that thought. And then I said to myself, Minnie, what if he's calling me to give me some good news? Maybe he's going to give me a pay rise. And I, I just thought these crazy things. I walked into the office and he said, Neil, you've been a team lead for a while. We'd love to give you an SDR manager job. And I was like, that's the good news. That's the pay rise. That's I was like, yeah. So anytime I get like a, a bit of fear, I always ask myself, what if it goes right? So I love the fact that we yeah. kind of believe into that the same cloth. We could talk about a lot of stuff for hours here. I, mean, I know. Literally, <laughs> I always feel like whenever we whenever we chat that we could just talk for hours easily. Um, <laughs> easily. But I will move on to what I next did. Yes, so please. I finished university. So in my third year, I knew that I needed to earn a job earn some money and earn a job um so I was like oh what can I do what can I do and I was umming and ahhing and during this summer I wanted to do work experience uh just to help me understand what I wanted to do after after uni 100% no no matter what I did wanted to do sales but I was more interested in recruitment at the time so I was like I messaged around a few people and I secured um like a, a job just for a few months literally just understanding the basics wasn't paid wasn't anything it was in my summer and I just wanted to understand and put myself in a position to see if it was the right job for me and I cold called a few people and I even had my boss at the time call me in an Irish accent and I genuinely thought it was a prospect (laughs) and I freaked out on the phone it was the worst (laughs) phone call of my whole career ever but nothing will ever be as bad as that phone call so now I always think, what's the worst case scenario that can happen? Mm-hmm. That was the worst case scenario. So it will never <laughs> happen again that bad. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, Zach, for literally giving me the worst phone call, by the way. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was very good Irish accent as well. Um, and then I spoke to my mum, and my mum's a beautician, and my mum said, well, it's your birthday coming up. Why don't I get your spray tan machine and you do spray tans? Mm. She could teach me. It takes. It's quite easy to do. Yeah, and the profit's incredible on it. I mean, it works out at like four pounds a spray tan, yeah. and you could probably charge you could make nine pounds profit each time. So it was a great thing, and I did it whilst I was in my third year uni, just to kind of earn a bit of extra cash and and just give me some flexibility, just to mm. be able to still shop in Waitrose. Which my dad <laughs> is saying, but I I like food, so I like shopping at Waitrose. Yeah. Um, 
And I then did that, which was, it was standard. I'd had an Instagram, I posted on Instagram and, and whatever the standard, the standard things you do. And I knew that I needed something a bit more secure because unfortunately, as we all know, uni students don't have the most amount of money. So it's not mm. always easy to get people to spend £14 on a spray tan or £15. So I went online and was just looking through all like the, the standard Indeeds and all of these. And yeah. I actually saw one that was with IFF. And all you had to do was interview people on the phone. Ah. We did an hour... We did an hour training session. I got logged on. It was like £12 an hour. I was like, yes, I can do this from home. It's even better. Mm. I did it for 12 hours a week. I actually got my two housemates to do it with me. Oh, so cool. they were now doing it. And you had to have these like six meter or 12 meter long internet leads as it had to connect to the box. So our whole uni house was completely covered in these wires everywhere. Like a call center. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and we would just speak to people on the phone. We'd get commission for the amount of people that we had answer the interview mm. and i'd say what i learned from iff it was only for three months it was just a short-term uh scheme that they do yeah i learned how to speak to people mm. i was cold calling yeah. i was cold calling during the recruitment that i did in the summer and then i was cold calling again and i was earning commission i mean it was 20p but mm -hmm. it, it was still commission and it still yeah. gave me that excitement so although the hours were sometimes very long and very awkward hours like from five till nine and really unsociable hours it was a great learning curve because it made me realize it's not that scary it yeah. really isn't as scary the first time i was petrified still but then you get used to it and you get more comfortable always so that was really kind of an eye awaking moment yeah and then this was kind of the january so this was the january before covid and i was like right need to start getting looking for a graduate job what do mm. i want to do so i spoke to i think i interviewed at like five different places i got offered four roles and accepted one in the end and it was just the right fit signed the contract had everything lined up and this was around the february time iff had finished at this point i knew that i was starting a graduate job in the summer in the september sorry and i was like well i come home every weekend as i'm a bit of a homebody mm. so i was like instead of working I was still doing my spray tans, but it wasn't earning as much as I wanted to. It's just the clientele wasn't there because in Nottingham, it wasn't as easy. Yeah. And I walked down to my local estate agents and I just said, hi, I saw you put an advert in. Um, I was wondering if I could be a Saturday girl. Mm. And I did it for two weeks and then COVID happened. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I did it for two weeks and it was all around the area that I've grown up in. So I knew it all really well. And... Daniel McGowan, who was my uh, boss at the time, he was incredible. I I was only working with him for a few months, but I learned so much from him in mm. terms of how to be, how to just speak to people and how to understand people and how to do more than just what you're meant to do. So mm. for example, I said to him once, and I remember I went into the office and I said, oh, this, this house would be great, but the colors are really, the colors make the room look really dark. Maybe you could suggest that they paint it white. Mm. He turned around. And he said to me, that's why you need to come and work here full time after uni. And that was because you, instead of just using my initiative, I used my initiative and pushed, looked outside the box yeah. to be able to see what else you could do. So that really gave me confidence. And then COVID happened and I was on furlough. And then he called me back literally early May when it was just starting to open up. And I went back and I did it. And I then got a phone call in the July that, 
my graduate role had been pushed back to the following January, which was I kind of expected. Yeah. So I went into the office and I said, Dan, look, I, I, I'd love a full-time role. Um, do you have anything available? They didn't have anything available, but he made room for me. So he oh. argued to uh, Paul Gillespie and literally said to them, you know what? You need this girl. And I will always be so grateful for him for that because he unfortunately left a few months later as he got married, but he taught me and he really fought for me. He fought for me over my salary, mm. fought for me over everything. And I really, really respect that from him because he was just incredible. And I had another guy there as well called Michael who was there from day one. And he taught me how to manage people's expectations mm. and really understand how to work with customers in a sense that obviously buying a flat is really buying a flat house or whatever is really stressful and you want to be able to ensure that you manage their expectations as much as the buyers and the vendors and your expectations mm -hmm. so i really understood how to work with people in terms of the satisfaction levels and the expectations that people set for sure i love that and just to pause you on that as well because expectation like managing expectations is no. a really key skill not only within a sales life, but within your personal life as well, yeah. like with friends, family and stuff like that. And, you know, one thing that I have struggled with like over the years is managing other people's expectations because I have my own and I know where yeah. I stand and what things should be done. Wow. And if things aren't done, it can kind of throw me off a piece a little bit and yeah. I will then have to have discussions with certain people like, well, what the hell were you expecting? Yeah. Like, this is what we were doing. Like, what tips or advice would you give to somebody that's learning to help manage expectations of themselves? But other people as well so i actually learned a lot of this from my dad when i was really young so it's quite different so mm. i've got divorced parents so my dad my dad's always kind of drilled it into me manage people's expectations and the key thing that i would say is to be honest explain mm. be honest about how you feel or be honest how something's turning out at the moment because if you're honest in that moment rather than being honest two weeks down the line where it's already happened and the miscommunication's already happened yep a bit too late you have to be straight straight up front and just say it how it is is people are going to respect you a lot more if you're up front and straight than to lie or to twist things i mean there's there was one time i sent a prospect a wrong email i, I could have i i could have lied about it i could have said you know what oh that i meant to send you that da, 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 da. i actually called him up and i said look john that was that let's call him john yeah. john i'm really sorry completely messed up here i sent yeah. you the wrong email and he respected me for that because we're all human and we all make mistakes so being honest and being transparent with people is the best way to manage anyone's expectations because you have to be honest is if you're not then what can you do they're just going to be there's going to be confusion and people are going to get things twisted you just have to say it how it is I think that's some solid advice and I'm playing so many scenarios in my head where I should have just been a bit more honest at the beginning of things and it wouldn't have gotten to where it got to. So that's It's easier said than done, for yeah, sure. it is. And I think it's part of that practice of, you know, where that Neil was pushing for opportunities and saying yes to things and getting you out of his comfort zone. Another mm. thing to get out of your comfort zone is being brutally honest yeah. and bringing it up earlier rather than letting it fester and sit oh, there and nice. become a snowball of a problem. But yeah, like looking at uh, your LinkedIn, like uh, at Gibbs Galepsy, like you made 500k of commission for the Northwood yeah. branch over your time, quarterly one of mortgage signups, top sales negotiator Northwood. 
uh, and it was a 360 roll as well and like with you you know thinking like you said outside of the box of things to go above and beyond what your normal yeah. responsibilities and duties were it's evident like with the results that came off the back of it so the question begs how did you go from sales negotiator within you know property yeah so then ended up bring what's the story there Minnie? so i knew that property wasn't for me i knew that i wanted to do sales but i property it didn't you know that feeling you get when you're so excited and you're so passionate about something? Mm. That's how I feel about being a BDR and everything within business development. I never got that within property. Mm. So I was speaking to like my friends and I was saying, oh, I don't know what to do. And I knew that I wanted to go into sales and I didn't want to do recruitment. I was mm. actually put off it after the whole, like my start date got pushed back. I just was really put off it and the market wasn't right and everything. So I reached out to my friend and he said, look, I don't recruit for this app. I don't recruit within sales, mm. but I know someone that does. So I called a girl called Eve and she didn't know me. She was so helpful. She was like, look, I normally do a lot higher up people, but I know this company Bring, um, let me put you in touch with the VP at the time, Tom mm. Doyle. So I literally got a text from Tom Doyle within 20 minutes. Yeah. We <laughs> had the interview the next day. I then met with my boss, Hanan, and I did four interviews literally within a week straight. So I had a lot of doctor's appointments, of course. Mm. <laughs> um, and I literally, I fell in love with the company. I knew that I wanted to move into the tech industry because it's a really hot industry at the moment, especially yeah. after the pandemic. And the product excited me because I was selling to people that I buy from. I mean, I, I'm going after your standard grocers and your standard fashion companies um, and you, you you relate to them really as well. You understand them and you, you're you a customer. So you're actually yeah. selling on behalf of yourself as well. And you're actually the customer in a roundabout way as well. So they really excited me. And I got thrown into the deep end. There were a few people that had left literally within the space of me joining within two weeks. Mm. I met Reese Mason who literally took me under his wing straight away. I know. He He's is the man. He is the OG. Um, and I met Holly Webb as well, who's now left Bring, but she is incredible. Between Holly and Reese, they made sure that everything was smooth for me. Mm. They made sure that I was looked after. They made sure that if I had anything, day or night, personal, personal or professional, they were there. And they're two of my really good friends now. And I'm so grateful to have met them because my experience at Bring wouldn't be the same without them, 100%. And being able to learn so much from them and also learn from a woman in sales, which isn't as easy. We'll be honest, it's not as easy. Yeah. There's less, a lot less women in sales. So being able to see someone so powerful and she's only four or five years older than me. Mm -hmm. So like someone to aspire to was really, really key. So I then got along like a house on fire with my boss at the time, Hanan. He was based in Israel. I've still never met him. He was there for nine months and literally, and the... In the January, I had already done, I think, 180% of my target within wow. Q4. So he was like, okay, this girl couldn't be pushed. And I remember putting so much pressure on myself to get my target. But that excitement that I got when I booked a meeting, I, there's no feeling like it. It's like Christmas on steroids. It's, <laughs> it's like so exciting and it's so nice because it, shows you that all the hard work that you've done and all the no's and people saying unsubscribe or the people saying don't want it not interested it 
it's worth it. It's 100% worth it. So I actually mentored two people um, in France and took that on straight straight away. Straight away. <laughs> I took that on straight away and I really was able to develop their skills and really teach them all the ins and outs and all the tricks that I'd learned from Holly, Reese, Marie, uh, Mawarad, Houston, who was a BDR there, and also Hanan, and put a whole different twist on everything. So instead of just sending out the normal emails, I'm creative and I'm trying to stand out and trying to make people laugh and trying to use Vidu, which is an incredible tool. It's like a virtual gift to let you hold up and mm. you can write anything on I've it. I've seen them on your when, LinkedIn. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so using things like that to really stand out from the crowd and I mentored the team, different members of the team. I mentored them Richard based in the US and then I took over the team when Henan left. There was like a six week period. So I was <laughs> leading the team during those six weeks waiting for our new boss. Oh, wow. So I was reporting to Tom Siegel, our COO, who's from Boston, very, very strong Boston accent. He's hysterical. And I would sit with him every Friday and have to report all of the BDR's progresses, meetings, et cetera, what's going on, how everyone's feelings. And it was really, it gave me my passion because I love helping people. I do. That, mm. yes, I'm money motivated, I'm in sales, obviously, but I love helping people. I've got a really big heart and being able to mentor someone is like the best feeling in the world because seeing how they've progressed, like seeing how Caroline has come on from when she first started at Bring and she was so shy and so nervous and now she's like this beautiful butterfly. And seeing that difference is what gives me the passion. And that is the one thing that I wake up for every morning. It's the seeing that people develop and become amazing at what they're doing. And just being able to Caroline's now doing training sessions to the mm. She did one on Wednesday and like that made me so proud. The fact that I was like a proud mother. And that's how I felt. And I then had a new boss, Courtney, and she is fantastic. I've learned a lot from her already. And it's nice that she's a woman as well hmm. because she's she understands the industry. She sees it from my perspective. And although she's based in the US, she came over for a week last week and we were doing training sessions and sorting everything out as I've now got Ivan, Tevin, and Nick. So I've now got three more people that I'm now mentoring at the moment and another person still. So out of, I'm doing four mentoring sessions a week roughly wow on all different things covering from linkedin and how to stand out on linkedin and how to use your personal brand and how to get a prospect who said no to actually get that meeting with them <laughs> things like that really being able to develop people's skills and really develop their understanding of it's not like it used to be 10 years ago it's not you call 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 because a you don't have the numbers thanks to gdpr b not everyone answers their phone. I don't. If I get a number from someone I don't know, I definitely don't answer it. Yep. So it's it's like standing out from the crowd and being different and using your personality because at the mm. end of the day, people buy from people. If you're not human, they're not going to buy from you. 100%. And it's very refreshing to hear this. The amount of passion that you have for seeing other people succeed from things that you're giving and helping them with it. And to your point, you know, some people are motivated by money, like we are in sales. And I remember um, a lot of sales leaders used to look at me really funny when I said, I'm not motivated by money whatsoever. Like it really doesn't ring my bells, but helping somebody that's never done something before and then seeing them doing it on their own 
brings me pure happiness and joy and seeing them being able to come into the home you know it's a leadership quality as well and with yourself like you've you've had a lot of experiences where you know like you said you've created these opportunities by asking the question or going for it uh, and having all of this energy about you dude like that's the only way that I can put it into a word it's just like pure energy which I love but if you take a bit of a pause and a bit of a breather and you just reflect on it as to where you are and all the things that you're doing because you're doing a lot right what would you say would be the main things that you'd think about yourself because if we go back to many years ago of like working in that shoe shop to like where you are now what things are you proud that you've accomplished and what do you think you know if something had changed a little bit it wouldn't have happened like what are the I think the point we were talking about earlier on is resilience yeah right so this uh, this element of resilience so your mini rider reflecting on the last like four or five years of all the stuff that's happened in the world and all the things that you're doing and all the people that you're meeting like what would be your takeaway from that mini I'd say the biggest takeaway I've had is don't let other people's opinions change who you are because I've been told, oh, you speak to everyone, you speak to the waitresses, you speak to everyone, you chat all day long to other people, okay? But that's who I am, and and that's that's me as a person. I'm not going to change myself as a person. I've been told so many different things by different people, and I think the key thing is to be 100% yourself, mm. not changing yourself, not trying to be more cool or more funny or just being your authentic self because not everyone's gonna like you and that was something that really I had to understand it's not every single person's gonna like you but that's okay and you shouldn't change yourself just because of what one person thinks because I'm telling you now there's at least five people that think you're great Mm. and I'd say having that ability to being able to channel people's people rejecting you or or people saying no to you being able to channel that channel that to not affect you as a person and not change who you are that's where that's why I think I'm where I am today because I've been I've been resilient and I've always stood by my morals and the values that I have and I've not changed that for anyone you have to be 100% yourself pull it pull it yeah Boom, if we could have like a sound effects of it like going off like with fireworks and everything, I'd freaking have that right now. I love that. You're right. And, you know, sometimes we can get into this role of an SDR career where we're constantly comparing ourselves to our peers, other people as to where they are in life and how they did what they did. And we try to mold ourselves into becoming people like them. And understanding that you are, in essence, creating this beautiful entity and being, which is yourself. And, you know, and that comes with the confidence, that comes with the believing in yourself. And, you know, it isn't overnight. It sometimes takes us a while to figure that out and then to stop listening to those naysayers. It's hard, you know, Um, even where I am today, like I still have critics. I still have people saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, Neil. And I'm like, but why not? Because it always goes back to that thing of I can't live in the what if and regret that I didn't do that or I didn't follow it through. Even if I follow it through and it Fs up, at least I know that I tried. Yeah. You know, I just can't sit there and think of, well, what happens if I didn't try? That would scare the hell out of me. But yeah, hell of a lot of energy, I mean, I absolutely love it. So yes. a question I normally ask people is, you know, as we're coming to the end of this show, which is what three bits of advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? I think you've given us a lot of advice. Yeah. But yeah, humor me for a minute. You're going to be listening to this in a couple of years time. 
when um, you're going to be reflecting where you're going to be else somewhere else in your career, different country perhaps, or maybe even running your own business. Who knows? Yeah. What three bits of advice would you give to a future version of yourself that's just listening to this today? The first thing is to be patient. Don't try and rush everything. Don't try and think too much about the future. I know that's probably the opposite of what people say to you, but be present, mm. be in the moment and don't rush. And the second thing is to pick your next role on what you can learn. Not about money, not about culture, but what can you actually learn? Is the person someone that you can learn from? And how can you learn from them? And then the third thing I would say is to keep being like your true self. Keep being the crazy nuts person you are. <laughs> I love that. So if future mini, if you're listening to it, you heard yeah. it from yourself, right? Exactly. So to be patient, uh, to see if you can learn and still keep being yourself. I think that's beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, mini. And also the, the, the thing that I want to discuss in just before we sign off on today's no. episode. So um, I remember when we connected on our you know introductory call yeah. a few weeks back and you were working on something where you really wanted to help elevate females working in tech. Could you share us a little bit as to what's this all about and what you're looking to do? Yeah, so I'm in the process with working with two other people, uh, both females, and they're both SDRs. One is now just a team lead. She's just been promoted to a team lead. And we're in the process of creating a community just for women, just for SDRs that are looking to share tips, develop in your career and also network. It sounds so crazy, but there's not, there is like other groups as like SDRs of London, SDRs of Germany, things like that. Mm. But I've not seen one just for women. And that's not being in inclusive to men, but... There's so few women in the industry, so it would actually be quite nice to connect everyone together and give people the ability to be 100% themselves, giving um, that openness to everyone. I absolutely love that. And, you know, like with this platform is like for all SDRs out there, but yeah. if there are common causes and things that we can help towards, I'd love to support that in that as well. Thank so you. hopefully by the time this episode goes live, if you want to Thank check out cost. links to Minnie's group, you can do so in the show notes in the podcast, and you can also check it out in the YouTube description as well. And, you know, we've had some great female SDRs on this show. There's a yeah. lot of great female leaders in tech as well. Uh, so hopefully, you know, in the future version of yourself, uh, we'll have this community together and maybe we could bring them on the shows. Maybe exactly. we could have we a, a female-led <laughs> just like show uh, with all these great SDRs from your group. And we have a group call. You know, sharing best that practices. Would be what so do you cool. think? Yeah, I like that idea. Maybe right. we'll, we'll speak after about it. A hundred percent. So, watchers, uh, yeah. subscribers, and listeners, if you think that would be a cool show, then please leave some comments down in the section below and let us know what you think, and we'll speak to Minnie and see if we can get that on. Uh, but Minnie, before we end today, are there any shout outs or kudos that you'd love to give on today's show? So, firstly, Reese Mason for obviously connecting us, 100%. and he is just. He's the goat. He's the He's best. He's the dude. Greatest of all time. <laughs> if, if anyone's not Gen Z, I'm not Gen Z, but if anyone's not Gen Z, the goat, greatest of all time. Um, and then 100% my dad. My dad yeah. has given me everything that I could possibly imagine in terms of who I am today. And I'm always so grateful of that, for sure. Solid salute to dad and out to <laughs> Reese as well. And a massive thank you to all of our listeners and watchers and joining us on today's episode. We really appreciate yourself. Again, if you want to connect with Minnie, uh, you'll find her LinkedIn URL in the show notes and in the description on our YouTube channel. 
please make sure that you give us a like, a, a rating, and a subscribe on both platforms to help us get this story out there to more sales development reps and BDRs across the globe. I'm your host, Neil Buyan, on the SDR Disco Call Show. Thank you so much for joining, and Minnie, thank you for being a guest, and most importantly, happy selling, Minnie. Happy selling. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the SDR Disco Call podcast today. We would like to get this message out to more and more sales development reps, so please like, comment, and share in your local podcast provider. If you don't want to miss a show, you can always send a blank email to SDR Disco Call, one word, at bcast, which is B-C-A-S-T dot email, and you'll be added to our mailing list. We're also on the lookout for new guests, so if you work in the world of sales development as an SDR, BDR, MDR, or ADR, and feel that you have an important message or story to share, feel free to email us at podcast at happyselling.io, and we'd love to have you on board.